Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna, my co-host of Chicago. And today, a special guest, Notre Dame offense coordinator Tommy Reese. Uh, you remember him from his playing days and his coaching uh, career here at South Bend. Tommy, thanks for taking some time in a, uh, a pretty wild, busy offseason. I, I guess I'm curious how you sort of managed this summer because it's been unlike anything you've ever had before from a recruiting perspective, but also... You know, grad transfer quarterback. Um, you know, quite a bit of roster turnover. There's a lot to um, there's a lot to manage in a, in an off season that is is really really unique. Yeah, I think um, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, but yeah, I mean, June was obviously the month that everyone's talked about, and it's been a uh, it was a crazy month with visitors and recruiting, and uh, you know, your players are getting back on campus, and you're trying to see them, and you have new people, you know visiting every single day, but at least in June, it was a little more structured and you knew, Hey, I'm working these days. I'm in the office. And then we go on break and you just finished June. And it's like, well, it's not really break because you're still recruiting and you're still having to close out a class and, and get a jump start on the next class. And, and that part never sleeps. And then in the back of your head the whole time, it's like, okay, well, we're three weeks away from camp and we're two weeks away from camp. And it just keeps creeping closer and closer until your mind starts to shift a little bit. Okay. So what are my duties to the current players? What are my duties to the team right now? How can I make sure that they're getting the most out of their summer and, and building relationships. And then on top of all that, you bring in a brand new batch of freshmen that you really didn't get to spend a ton of time with because of COVID. And now they're on campus and you're trying to make sure that you're there for them and being supportive in their opening months. So it's been a balancing act. And I think the last part of it is you're trying to find a little bit of time for yourself too, because this is the only time we get. So it's been a balancing act for sure, trying to manage all of that. But um, we have a pretty good system in place and we have a lot of people pitching in there. So uh, it's gone somewhat smoothly here over the last three weeks, but this July is definitely more ramped up than a normal July and a normal season. Tommy, on top of that, I mean, you're entering your fifth season back at Notre Dame as a coach, second as a coordinator. You're first without Ian Book in that room at all. It's got to be a little bit different, right? Just not looking over your shoulder and seeing him there. What's, I mean, what do you lose when he leaves, and what what do the other guys bring to the table? Yeah, I mean, obviously, from like a playing standpoint, you know, you lose somebody that won 30 games here at Notre Dame. You lose a presence. You lose somebody that, like, during this off season when coaches can't really be involved you knew it was going to run smoothly because Ian would be there, right? Like he knows the way we want it done. He's been in the system a long time. He understands what the expectations are and you have a trust level there with him. Um, same thing goes for the offensive linemen too. I mean, you have those guys kind of in place for five years, four years, and, and you know, everything's going to run the way it's supposed to. Um, I think we're really fortunate that the, the guys in the room now 
are able to kind of carry that on. I mean, Jack's an experienced, you know, kid in college football. Now he hadn't been here in the summer, but he's extremely experienced and knowledgeable on, on what it looks like during an off season. Drew and Brendan have been here for at least two or one or two years. So they know, Hey, this is what it's supposed to look like during an off season. So there's still a lot of trust and obviously having the spring was huge, which we didn't have last year. So we felt like we're in a pretty good place with just building um, the momentum in the quarterback room. And there's a level of trust there. And, you know, I just got to make sure that we're giving them enough to do when we can't be entirely involved. But yeah, we miss Ian. We miss Ian for sure. But we're we're uh, we're moving forward. So I was interested in in your sort of early relationship with Marcus Freeman because I mean I've written about this. We've had Clark on the podcast. Like you you got along great with Clark. Um, you got I think you saw football in the same way. Um, saw sort of coaching and player development in the same way, and you could play like complimentary football off each other as well. How? how much time have you put into sort of trying to get to know Marcus, like the buttons he kind of pushes. So one, you're, you're like, you can get what you need out of practice from one another, but also like when it comes around to fall that you can sort of have something similar in a complimentary football sense to, to what you had with Clark eventually, even if you don't have it right away. Yeah. I think from the day, um, you know, I first talked to Marcus, which was, you know, well before I think he was officially hired. Um, you know, there's just a great energy there with him. And I think it was easy to get along with. Um, look, we're both relatively young, although he has, you know, a number of kids and I don't, we're still both kind of in the same age group and, you know, we know more people. So that made the transition easy. I mean, he's a very easy person to get along with. I mean, he's a likable guy. He's not, doesn't take himself too seriously or anything like that. So that part was, was no problem. I think, you know, throughout spring ball, there were, you know, things that we went back and forth on in terms of, hey, we need help with this. Can we get that? And he said, you know, and there were some days where he would say, hey, can I see a couple of these during a certain period? You know, we just got to work on it. So right away, there was a very easy back and forth attitude where it was, hey, yeah, that's no problem. We'll help you there. And, and you know, because at some point down the road, we're both going to ask for it. Um, so that that part was was easy too. I mean, it was extremely easy. Now we see a lot more from his defense, which is a good thing. I know we talked about it. Like the best thing for our young line was seeing all those different looks and fronts and pressures and stunts. Like that's only going to you know pay dividends as the season comes on. <clears throat> but um, you know, with Marcus, I'm very intrigued to see you know during camp and into the season progression, which way does the defense take shape because. Um, you know, they're going to hone in on the something on what they do really well. And then from there, that's when you start building in the complementary pieces. Like when both of our identities offensively and defensively started getting um, shaped during camp, that's when you find the way to play off of one another. And that's going to be really exciting and really fun. And he's somebody that's, you know, I think eager to do that as well. Tommy, I don't think anyone's all that surprised you've become a coach and you've become a successful coach so far, but as far as the day to day and, and, you know, beyond the X's and O's, particularly with hiring people or recruiting people, I mean, whether it's identifying, Hey, we could use a Jack Cohn in this quarterback room, whether it's finding Dre Brown to come over as an offensive analyst from Tennessee, what's your philosophy and, and how do you, how do you feel you've improved at kind of identifying candidates or recruits and interviewing them and going through the hiring process when you're the one having to say in that hiring process? Yeah, that's a fun part of the job, to be honest with you. I think building your team in sense of like who you're surrounded with um, is something that, 
that's enjoyable because you really get to, you know, put the pieces together that you seem to be very beneficial. I think the first thing you always look, or I always look for in people is just, is there an authenticity there? You know, like coach McNulty was kind of the first guy I got to hire on the job and he's someone that I trust and knows true to himself and not in it for the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, I think the same thing, you know, when you look at Dre is here's a guy that is going to work extremely hard. He comes highly recommended. When you talk to him, you get just a sense of, okay, this kid has got a good head on his shoulders. He represents himself the right way. There's an authenticity to him. Um, and obviously he, he's resonated with a lot of guys in, that are, you know, similar to his background. Um, you know, he's a guy that we identified as someone that could help us, um, you know, recruit not only just in the Midwest, but help reach kind of broader strokes and, and reach out to, you know, people from all walks of life that are going to help benefit us. And, um, you know, I think the same thing when you identify players and, you know, you look at Jack and, you know, you got to do a lot of due diligence. You got to do a lot of digging in terms of, you know, you got to talk to the people that have, have surrounded him his whole life. You got to talk to people that, you know, he may not expect that you're going to have conversations with, because usually that's who you get the most truth from. Um, and then, you know, for me in recruiting, like it's a constant, um, you know, desire to get better. And it's a constant um, push to find the right people for this place. And I don't think everyone is built to be successful at Notre Dame. And I think it's very um, important that we find the people that are, because you tend to have the most success with the guys that resonate with this place the most. And you tend to have the most success with the guys that find something greater in the value of Notre Dame than it is just to better themselves. And, and so I think, you know, for us, we just, pour a lot of time and resources into trying to get to know them, trying to get to know their families and, you know, what makes them who they are. And, and I feel like I have a pretty good sense of the right type of people to bring into Notre Dame. You know, I've been here nine years now and I've been surrounded by many great players and I've been surrounded by guys that couldn't make it. And I think, um, you know, just having that experience helps us as an offense or as a whole staff, um, you know, weed out the ones that we think, can be really successful at Notre Dame and the ones that can't. Marcus is, I've talked to Marcus about this and I think sort of his recruiting, he's been out front, like his recruiting pitches, like, you know, there are Notre Dame guys and then there's guys who you got to convince to come to Notre Dame, but like they fit what this place can be about. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Notre Dame at a deeper level than Marcus does. You, you played here, lived it and is coached here longer. Like, how do you sort of see that in terms of find one finding guys who are like Notre Dame guys who like you know maybe they grew up following it or you know the front, they have the academic profile boom you know mm -hmm. there's no doubt about them when they get here versus going out and finding a guy that you think could be a Notre Dame guy but maybe just doesn't know it yet how how do you sort of balance those two things Yeah I agree with that statement fully um like I, you see it all the time in recruiting right you have a kid up for one visit and a week later he's committed and that's a Notre Dame guy, right? Like that's someone that understands it. You have them on campus. That's all it really takes. Like you don't have to recruit that hard with those type of guys. Um, and then you look at other people from, you know, they might be outside of our footprint or outside of a school that we get a lot of kids from, or, you know, somebody from the West coast, like even Buckner, you know, there was convincing there, right? This kid's from San Diego, California, coming to South Bend, Indiana is a huge change for him. Um, so I, I agree with that. I think, again, that, that really dives into like the character of the kid and, 
like Wu is probably a, a great example of that, of someone that, you know, maybe isn't a slam dunk Notre Dame kid right away, but he came here, it took him a year and a half, and then he exploded onto the scene and he left with his degree. And I mean, that's a kid that, that developed himself into understanding what this place can value and, and how much, you know, success you can still have at a, at a, at a school like Notre Dame. And um, those are the ones that are important to find. And those are the ones that, um, take the extra work. And those are the ones that, um, you know, ultimately can, can make a huge difference for you. You mentioned Tyler Buckner before us, but we got to ask about him. Um, you obviously knew this kid extremely well. You recruited him for a long time. Uh, he didn't play a lot of football though before, you know, between injuries and in the state of California this past year, but he comes in at least when we saw him in the spring game, he looked pretty darn good. Uh, do you surprise you at all this spring? How has he come along during off-season workouts? What are you kind of your early impressions and validations of him uh, getting your hands on him the last couple of months? Yeah, um, the Buckner hype train rolls on. I guess you know the spring game wasn't <laughs> what we needed for that, but um, no, look, we I think Tyler came as a freshman right after his freshman season, and he came to camp, and you were like, "Who is this?" You know, he ran, he threw it. I'm like, okay, this is a no-brainer. And then, you know, obviously, the knee happens, and we stick by him. And then junior year happens, and that's, you know, when he blows up and obviously has an unbelievable year. Um, and then senior year, unfortunately, went the way it did in California. But, um, you know, I think the spring was – look, the message to Tyler from the beginning was spring ball is to give you an opportunity to compete during camp. So let's not hold on to every practice, every throw, like it's going to be the end all be all. Let's, let's get ready to, to compete and prepare for when training camp comes. And I thought he did a great job of managing that. Um, you know, Tyler's a very like almost weirdly intelligent kid where it's like you say something once or you show him something once he's pretty much got it. And it was cool to kind of see that come um, and translate to the field. And then, He's so like, I don't know what the right word is to use, but like he hears it, he knows it. And sometimes, you know, he's got to wait a second to react because now it changes because what the defense has done. But in his mind, it's this, it goes to there. Okay, well, we got to have some sort of reaction to it. And I think that was the next step for him throughout spring was, okay, this gets taken away. Let's move forward. Let's move on. Just because we emphasize something doesn't mean that's how it's going to play out. Again, defense decides where the ball goes. We don't. Um, and then as, you know, probably the last third of spring practice, I mean, you saw his talent and his ability start to shine through because I think the game started to slow down. And then, you know, obviously in the second half there in the spring game, you saw a good amount of it and you saw his ability to be athletic and pull one down and, and put it in the end zone. And, you know, the part that I thought, like, look, some guys, when they get in the stadium, they can tense up. Some guys, when they get in the stadium, the game changes for them. And I've been around guys as a player that that's happened. I've, you know, seen it, you know, for many years. But, um, you know, the cool thing for him is, okay, we're in this stadium. It's his first time competing. And, you know, that's as well as he has, has done. I mean, not that he didn't have good practices, but, like, to go out there and operate like that in a couple of drives is pretty impressive. Just So just to see the fact that he was able to manage that moment and – excel in that moment was was a good sign and then I think this summer like coming early like is a not a necessity but I think it does have a huge benefit for guys and you just see it in the way people carry themselves in the summer after their first spring like there's a different 
walk to them. There's a different confidence. You know, they've been here a semester. They know what they're doing. They know where they're supposed to be. They know how it's supposed to be done. And it just allows you to not just be, you know, taking it by a fire hose all summer. You're allowed to like immerse yourself in the program. You're allowed to immerse yourself in the culture and, and start to excel and prepare the right way. And I think, you know, we're not allowed to be out there with them when they're doing the football stuff. We can see them work out and when they're with Bayless and all that. And, you know, he looks really good and he's running well and he's working hard, but, um, you know, there's still, there's still a long, you know, maturation process there that we're going to go through during camp. And look, we're excited about Tyler, but, you know, we also have other really good players in that room and we have, you know, guys that have prepared the right way and you look at Jack and Drew and when Brendan comes back to injury, like all those guys can really play. And so, um, you know, I'm just excited about having that competitiveness kind of back into the room. You know, we, we really hadn't had it since, you know, Brandon and Ian and it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think from the outside, the if Tyler Buckner isn't the most intriguing player, it's it's probably Kevin Austin. Um, you know, just in the sense of like he's been here for a while but has not been able to play for various reasons. What where do you feel like he is in terms of his return? And like let's just assume that he's healthy. Like you're gonna get twelve games out of Kevin Austin. Is this is this a receiver that can be at the level of a chase or a miles or you know, even going back to, to Mike, um, who you played with here. Yeah. I mean, those are, that's a tall, that's a, it's a big group right there. You know, like even when guys were asking about like Chase or Miles and compare him to Floyd, I, I was like, guys, Floyd is a top 15 pick. Like he was very dominant, you know, and, and I don't know, like Chase is obviously off to a hot start and Miles is playing and, but like Mike was pretty dang good. Um, you know, Kevin has the ability, you know, he has the size, he has the ability to run, he's got the natural ball skills, he's got all the things you look for. And, you know, for a number of reasons, it just hasn't clicked yet. And like, he's a awesome kid who works his tail off, who is like starving to have the success that he knows he can. Um, I think the biggest thing for us right now is just we got to get him back into shape because he's been out of it for a while. Um, you know, we got to make sure we have a really good plan on how to manage him throughout summer and throughout camp to make sure that we're keeping him fresh, not giving him too much, too fast. Um, you know, we got to make sure from a mental standpoint, we're able to, you know, simplify things for him to allow him to go play until he really gets back into the rhythm of things. Um, 
look, we all know, like, I'm not trying to downplay his ability, but I'm also trying to help, you know, the kid just get back into the swing of things. You know, it's been a long time. You know, he played for us in 18. You know, I remember we put him in against Michigan to run an inside fade because we said, okay, hey, like, he can go get it. And this is a huge game. Let's play him. And so we did. Now, he didn't win on the play, but um, he was in there. And then I know he caught the shallow against Navy and it broke for about a 50-yard you know, uh, run after the catch. And, you know, you can see some of that ability show up, you know, he's four inches away from toe dragging a touchdown against Louisville last year. He catches one in the flat, you know, later that goes for 18, 20 yards. So the ability is there, you know, I think it's our job as coaches to protect him here early on and make sure that we're giving him a chance to be successful. And then as he starts kind of climbing that ladder, you know, then you're going to be able to see his, his true ability take over. Um, but when you look at the kid and it's a height, weight, speed thing, you clearly see the potential. Tommy, how often do you catch yourself, whether it's in recruiting or just in a meeting room? Hey, this is the way I did it. Or, hey, when I was in your shoes, I did this. Are you very conscious of that? Because I think everyone there knows who you are, knows your playing career. Obviously, that's a benefit, but you also don't want to be the guy saying back in my day every time. How do you kind of balance that? Yeah, I definitely do it. Um, like significantly less than I probably did when I first got back. Um, you know, the only time is really ever like if I'm messing around with the quarterbacks, like it's never really in a, in a like truthful way. It's usually tongue in cheek a little bit and um, good and bad, you know, say hey, I threw a pick on this play to lose the game, but you know, all that, or it's, Hey, I can make that throw. I can show it to you. It's still on the system. Like little jabs like that. It's never really serious. Um you know, I think when you're when you're relating to the players and what they're going through, that's the only time it really comes up. Like, hey, someone's struggling in a class. You know, I have the ability to sit down with them and kind of give them advice and say, hey, I took stats, too. So, like, this is some tips here. Um, or, you know, with the quarterbacks, you know, with Ian, it was always, okay, well, how do we manage some of this noise? How do we manage some of the, the stuff that's going on now? His Ian book exploded way more than I ever did. And so it got to a level that I never reached, but I could still try to help bring him back down to life. Um, I try not to be the guy that talks football in terms of where it was being played eight, nine, 10 years ago, because it's changed a lot. Um, but in terms of like how to manage being at Notre Dame and how to have success as a student athlete, I feel like I can provide some insight to that. And to be honest with you, like my career, you know, I made some mistakes. I had some really good moments. I had some very high highs. I had some very low lows. So I feel like I have a range of experiences that allows me to touch different parts of, of the experiences our guys are having. And, you know, at the time it was hard for me, but now it's providing to be something that's pretty good in terms of, you know, relatability with the guys. Um, I don't know when that's going to go away. I don't know what age I get to where it's, I'm no longer relatable, but, you know, we'll see. I don't want to like get too much into X's and O's or scheme, but when you say football has changed so much from when you played, like how so it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. And yet I think, you know, you can flip on college football now and the games are 50 to 42 um, in a way that I don't think that they were back in 2011, 2012. Yeah. I mean, I think, Look, like the easy thing to point to is like the RPO game, right? That's whatever like we didn't run them when I played. Like you threw the bubbles, you threw the spots, but you didn't run like I mean, we had maybe one, but you didn't really run the downfield RPO stuff as much. Um, so that's obviously changed the game and being able, you know, the line being involved in that and 
but like the the spread go fast five wide zone read like all of that has been around for some time now when i was playing that was you know kind of late 2000s early 2010 like that was when that was really catching on you know now people have different ways to attack that and that's been used and it's been successful and defenses have reacted you know from a defensive standpoint you're seeing so much more at the college level than you ever have you know teams with the ability to play three down and four down whereas before like seeing three down was rare i mean you'd see it maybe once or twice a year now you're seeing it almost every single week and teams having the multiplicity to do both um you know kind of like the iowa state clemson three high safety extra db on the field like that's new to college football that's something that is different and that's something that takes a lot of time to prepare for um you know i think defensive coordinators are asking their guys to do more there's more stunts there's more pressures there's more looks they're not always sound and they don't always make sense which is hard for an offensive coach to prepare for because there's really no rhyme or reason it's just hey we're doing this and we're going to try to do as much chaos to to create for the offense and like a lot of teams have had success with it. Um, you know, a lot of that's been reactionary to offensive football, but some of it's new and innovative. And I've been fortunate between Elko and, and Clark and now Marcus, like we've seen a lot of it in practice. And the cool thing is all those guys, like we all sit down and talk about it and, you know, ask why are we doing this? Why do we do that? And so it helps me understand from a defensive perspective how to attack it. Um, so like I, the game always changes. The game's rapidly making improvements. You know, you always want to be on the cutting edge. You always want to find something new. You always want to find, you know, ways to attack. Um, you know, I think the thing last year offensively, like what we did and adding gaps to our, to our front and playing with different personnel groups and playing with different tempos, like that's almost a revert back to where football was a little bit ago, but it's new because, people don't see it anymore. And so like, there's a new type of prep that goes into that. And you see teams not knowing how to fit certain runs or not knowing how to react to certain actions. And you might be in a, in a tighter set, but you're throwing the ball out of it and teams, you know, drops and rules and like all that stuff changes. And so you're always trying to find a way to be forward thinking and innovative and creative and, and something that can present defensive problems. And, you know, year to year, you got to have new ideas because defenses and, and other schools are changing quite a bit. I think it'd be cliche to say Brian Kelly's changed or Brian Kelly's evolved. You know, he's been there 12 years. I think everyone's changed and evolved during that time. But you've seen him through two completely different um, spheres. One as a player, one as a coach. How has your experience both then and now helped you maybe appreciate what he deals with, what he goes through, and give you a better understanding of what the head coach of Notre Dame football what that really entails and encompasses. Yeah. I mean, I was with a number of guys who I played with last week um, and we were just talking about it, like to be the head coach in Notre Dame for 12 years, that doesn't just happen. Right. I mean, that's, that's a pretty remarkable um, accomplishment by coach and, you know, to hopefully leave here, you know, he should leave here as the all time winning as coach in Notre Dame history. Like that, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment when you look at the history of the program. Um, you know, I do think there is a level of appreciation um, as I get older and as I see him through all these different lenses and, and see what he has to go through and deal with, you know, every day and the, the demands that are on him. And, you know, I think just living in a coach's life now and understanding, 
not like the pressure of it, the stress of it, the expectations, balancing that with, okay, I'm really only in this to, to try to help young players and, and get them to where they want to go. Um, like you understand the, the high level that Notre Dame is. And I think living it now for me puts a great appreciation for all the things that he's you know been able to do. And look, there's probably not too many adults that have had a greater impact on my life than coach, you know, you look at my parents and, you know, after them, you know, I've really been around him as much as anyone. And so, you know, he's shaped, you know, a great deal of my life and a great deal of my career. And um, I'm just very fortunate to have, you know, his trust and um, for what he's given to me, you know, not only as a player, but now, you know, in this second career, this, this life as a coach. And um, it's a pretty cool thing. And it's pretty cool to see kind of his progression, you know, from, you know, him calling the plays and being very involved and taking a step back and, you know, building relationships with the guys and being there for them and kind of this new outlook he has. It's been, um, it's been exciting for me. And like it, the guys I know appreciate it and, and really have gravitated towards it. I wanted to sort of wrap up at least my, my last question was just sort of, you, you sort of referenced and Matt asked about Buckner, you know, you're, you weren't able to go out and visit these guys, not really able to work out a lot of them. You know, Buckner and Styles were exceptions because they came as sophomores, right? But, like, what have you been able to pick up from some of these freshmen who, you know, maybe whether they're early enrollees or mid or the summer enrollees, that is sort of, like, clicked with you, that is interesting to you, that, you know, maybe you were wondering about a kid because he hadn't been around Notre Dame a whole lot. Um, but now he's here and you get to see him in the weight room. Like are, are there guys that have sort of, I don't know, just sort of piqued your interest a little bit more now that you're it's, it's happening for them. Yeah. I think, I don't know if I talked to you Pete about it, but like, you know, we signed essentially this whole class without being out there to see them and like they've come in and, I mean, it's a pretty dang good looking class, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we're very excited about it. There's like a, there's a maturity to the group that I think is pretty unique. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of guys that are strained from the pack. There doesn't seem to be a lot of guys that don't understand how to work or what it takes to be here, um, which has been exciting. I mean, I don't want to get into too much detail about individuals, but you know, there are guys that we like Joe Alt, for example, here's a kid that's a 240 pound tight end. When we start recruiting him, he shows up to campus, he's 290, but he's still athletic because that's his background. And so you look at a kid like that, who's got this huge ceiling and has the pedigree and, you know, he's someone you evaluated early on in the process and he's a developmental guy, but like his developmental part is going to be a little bit more accelerated than we thought because he came in looking the way he does. And that shows a certain level of maturity in a kid. Um, you know, I think both backs, both wide outs, like I kind of take the early guys out. I'm talking about the guys that just got here. Um, like there's a maturity to those guys and you see it in the way that they work and you see it in the way they handle themselves. And like, usually when those guys are throwing, and, you know, Pine calls me and is saying, hey, you know, Jaden Thomas had a really good day. Like, that doesn't happen if – like, when the veterans start talking about the guys, that's when you know something's clicking. And when the guys that you trust can talk highly of the freshmen, that's when you know, 
you know, usually you got a, a kid that's got a chance because our players know. I mean, they've seen it. The guys that have been around, they know what it looks like. And so, you know, trusting in them is, is pretty important. I'll get you out on this note, Tommy. Tommy Reese is a 21-year-old starting quarterback for Notre Dame in, in 2021. What NIL deal is he seeking out? <laughs> Bush White? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what am I seeking out? Uh, how are you handling this? I mean, you got enough demands before NIL. Now you can maybe capitalize off it. What's, are you talking to your quarterbacks about this? I mean, I know it's kind of outside your purview. Yeah. I'm trying to let it kind of settle here for a minute. You know, I think the area where it's going to affect people the most is recruiting, to be honest, like for coaches daily and how our jobs work, I think it's going to be the most on recruiting. Um, you know, our player, you know, we're going to have a good, system in place to help our guys and make sure that they can benefit from it. Um, and look, the best advice I can get them is get on the field and play well, because your marketability is going to go up with the more exposure and the more ability you have on the field. Um, but, you know, I think for me, it's going to be more about, okay, how do I just help them make the right decisions and how do I help them, you know, steer them towards people that have their best interest in play and not their own. Um, so we'll see how it all ends up. You know, I don't know for me, like, I don't know who I'd be trying to get represented by, but after 2011, um, I don't know how marketable I would have been. So, um, we'll see what, see what what pops up for our guys. We'll, we'll pay you and Bush light to come on the shamrock every week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that will not anymore. I'm not 21 anymore. So (laughs) we would have upgraded to craft beer perhaps. Yeah. So, we no, can make that happen. We'll see what those guys end up doing. I don't know. I mean, I, it'll be interesting. Like, like, I know Jack Cohn just, like, redid his social media because, you know, that stuff's popping up. And, like, you guys haven't – I don't know how much time you guys have had to talk to Jack, but um, he's not, like – he's not Joe Namath out there in terms of personality. You know, like, he's much more reserved. So, it'll be interesting to see kind of where he wants to take this thing and – you know, I'm sure like, I just kind of think of it in the lens of Ian, like if Ian were here with NIL, what opportunities would have he had and, you know, where would his marketability gone? And, you know, like a kid like Mayer or Kyron or Kyle, like the kind of the guys that are out in front, I think, you know, they're going to lead the charge. And it's very unique because this class of players and this recruiting class of recruits, like they're going to set the tone for how this thing goes for the foreseeable future. So I'm you know, I just want to be there to help them make decisions with their best interest in mind and not get too caught up in all of it. All right. Well, Tommy, appreciate you uh, taking some time on, uh, I think may, might be your last light week for the next six or seven months. Um, we'll let you get back to that. Enjoy, uh, enjoy a little downtime before uh, camp really gets ramped up here in a few weeks. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Happy to come on. Thanks, Abby. All right, guys. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. That was Tommy Reese, Notre Dame Offensive Coordinator. We thank him for his time. Pete, he's much uh, more open and better to deal with us now in his coaching seat than he was as a quarterback, and I know you can be when you're a coach uh, because you're still one of 85 when you're a quarterback, but... Um, what were your takeaways from our conversation with Tommy? Uh, I, I've enjoyed sort of getting to know him as a coach. Um, I wasn't sure how different he would be, you know, from a player. Um, you know, I, I think that we, we both covered his playing career in some respects. Like he, he kind of got a rough ride at Notre Dame um, for how many games he won and the big moments he was in. Uh, I, I think that sticks with him a little bit. I don't know if it drives him in any way, but like he's certainly aware of it. Um, and I, so I, that that I always find interesting to sort of see how he's kind of matured and gotten more and more comfortable in his own skin. And then I thought the um, the recruiting part about finding guys who aren't sort of predisposed to look at Notre Dame because I, it's, it's something Marcus Freeman has said a lot, very publicly and loudly, and it's resonated. I mean, they got a commitment yesterday from four star linebacker Jalen Seed, who was from South Carolina, Hilton Head, and that's that's one of the guys that if Marcus Freeman wasn't around, Jalen Seed would be at Oregon or he'd be at Texas A&M or he'd be at Tennessee. Um, but they were able to sort of convince him that you are a Notre Dame guy even if you don't know it. Um, and it, so it was interesting to sort of hear Reese sort of echo that sentiment because, I mean, look, Reese is one of those guys that Lake Forest, Illinois, dad in coaching um, – I'm not sure that's he's the Tommy Reese is somebody who already had to recruit that hard to come. Um, and I think he was here at a time, you know, we covered this as well when Notre Dame took some swings on kids that either missed or blew up in their face spectacularly, where it was sort of like um, too many kids who didn't fit the culture. Um, and I think it's it swung hard one way where I think they were maybe in some ways focusing at too much on guys who are predisposed to look at Notre Dame. And then I think it's sort of come back a little to, to a healthier part where they can sort of balance the two. So I, that I always find fascinating how, how Notre Dame views uh, roster building and culture building, uh, because I think that Reese and Freeman are right. Like you cannot win a national championship just by signing the best Catholic school kids um, that you can get. You got to go out and find some, some kids who, 
might not know about Notre Dame. Uh, and you got to convince him that that's a spot for you. Yeah, and you know, he was kind of caught in no man's land. You forget he he was recruited by the Weiss regime, which got fired, and then he was kind of a holdover with... Yep. Like, his career was never designed to have as much success and as much time as they end up having, but I think that's ultimately a testament to his staying power, his resiliency, his ability to, to be on call at a moment's notice, especially in 2012 when they needed him down the stretch of a few games for Everett Golson and um, really just, you know, had one of the more memorable careers um, in recent Notre Dame history. When he got hired, it was initially as an analyst uh, at the end of the 2016 season going into 2017, I remember talking to a couple people around Notre Dame who said, like, this guy is going to be the best, one of the best recruiters Brian Kelly's ever had because he can speak the language, he can ease prospects' concerns, he's been through it, he came out the other end, and he came back and, and ended up working for the guy. And just hearing him talk about Brian Kelly – um, obviously, look, the success on the field right now is much better than it was in 2016, much better than it was in 2011. Um, but, but hearing him talk about his former coach and current boss and saying, you know, outside my family, he might be the most influential guy in my life, uh, that's pretty telling. I mean, it, it, I guess it's not surprising when you do the math, that would make sense. You know, he mentioned nine years in Notre Dame, which you forget, right, because it's four and five. Um, you kind of think of them as two separate entities, but they were all under the same guy. Um that part to me, hearing it out loud, was wow. Yeah, he's like we know he's Notre Dame through and through, but this guy really knows this place. He really knows his personnel, and I don't know if we probably do this at the time when we were interviewing him in college. But I don't know if there's been a more self-aware athlete or coach we've come across uh, during the last during the Brian Kelly era, I would say, of Notre Dame. Um, whether it was him as a plane, just knowing what to say and when to say it. Um, and right now, the way he's able to draw on both those good and bad experiences as a player and, you know, not say to Ian Book or Drew Pine, hey, this is how I did it in my day, but hey, this is how I dealt with the media. This is how I dealt with a tough class. Uh, those are the t- intangibles that help you better understand why he was able to be such an important part of that locker room when he was a player and why it's no surprise he's having the success he's had right now as, as a uh, assistant coach. Yeah, I think, you know, we we are both uh, proponents of coaches being self aware. That's not something that every coach is or has that ability. But I think he's he rates very highly in that regard. Um, you know, Clark Lee was the same way. I think we're still sort of getting to know Marcus Freeman, who we're hoping will be a, a future podcast guest here next week. Um, but that it goes a long way because I, I think it makes you genuine. I think he makes it authentic. Um, you know, I think Brian Kelly has become much more self-aware in the last three, four years as well. Um, and so I, I sort of love the bit about, you know, you asked about bringing up your playing days and like, this is how I did it. And he sort of like, will bring it up sarcastically or, uh, you know, well, I threw a pick and lost the game on this play or like, you know, that, that throw is easy to make. I made it a hundred, like that kind of stuff, I think makes you human and relatable with these players. And they sort of see like, okay, you're, we're on the same level here. And I think coaching in 2021, that is, man, that is essential. You have to make the, the, the players feel like you're on their level. You're in it with them. Big Bush like guy too. Who knew? Or at least was. <laughs> That's pretty high end for college, I got to say. Yeah. He's from Lake Forest. I think he can, uh, he can afford uh, Bush Light. Um, that was certainly a very good part. I did, you know, it's like if we if we ever have him on again and I'm coaching flag football again, I'll maybe I'll – bring my playbook to the podcast and he can talk me through what, what plays we should be running and what formations work best. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, um, 
and I felt this way after we had Clark Lee on last year. It's like sometimes I think college football coaches, you would think that they're, you know, have NASA secrets or Department of Defense information. Like, and the conversations can be like very standoffish because like they feel like they're trying to, you're trying to pry information that they don't want to give. And like when you can just sort of have an adult conversation like this, what it's really enlightening for us as reporters. Um, I think it casts the coach in a very good light as, you know, not only in their current job, but maybe what their next one is. And I think if you're a listener to this podcast, I would sure hope you came away with it like, wow, I have a different appreciation or uh, I see Tommy Reese in a different way than maybe I did just because I watched his games from 2010 to 2013. Um, and I'm, you know, complaining about why they don't take more deep shots offensively. I don't know if there's anyone, I don't know all 10 assistants extremely well, but I know most of them uh, on a first name basis. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone in that building who you can't have that conversation with right now. Yeah, I agree. That wasn't always the case. As no. you know, from Brian Kelly's first defensive coordinator and a few other people from from those early staffs, um, a lot of them did guard matters as if they were Department of Defense. But um, this is a very enjoyable staff for the most part to, to get to talk to, get to know when you're given that opportunity. And you know, I think you know, Tommy Reese could speak to it better than anyone else because he played for the guy. But we've said this before, like, Brian Kelly's staff likes working for him. Like he's yes. not a micromanager. Like he lets these guys do their jobs, and uh, like there's good and bad to it, but it's mostly good. It makes you a very attractive boss, and it makes Notre Dame a very attractive place to work because, um, yeah, you get to do your jobs, and you don't have to have a guy hovering over you all the time. Brian Kelly, by the way, is at the American Century Championship this week. Joe Buck had Instagrammed a photo with him. I'm not sure how he shot, but he has a rep of being one of the better golfers among head coaches in college football. So I'm sure it was a, a sterling performance. I do. I mean, I do think that the Brian Kelly as a good boss story. We, neither of us have really, really mined it, um, but I do. I do think it's a good story because I'm not sure the perception of him outside of the goo matches up with that reality inside it. But I think it's been that way for a long time. And I remember talking to Tony Alford about this, that, you know, what was the difference between Kelly and Weiss? And there were many of them, but one of them was just like, he's not micromanaging you. And I think it, actually I also asked some Kelly and Urban. Kelly um, and Urban's Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he's not in your office, double, triple checking every single thing you do. He trusts you to be an adult and do your job. And um, I think Kelly is, really good that way i think that there's even if the reputation is not like sort of out for in the public domain i do think in coaching circles people know he's like this is a good guy to work for um and that certainly helps when you're trying to get mike elko and then when you're trying to promote clark lee and then when you're trying to get marcus freeman after that i mean they beat out lsu it's less than two years removed from winning a national championship and which has a more talented defensive roster in Notre Dame right now at least from a, a raw material standpoint they beat out LSU to get Marcus Freeman Brian Kelly obviously played a major role in that and you know it wasn't always that way I remember talking to Jack Swarbrick about this fairly recently where he said I you know I think Harry Heastan might have been the first guy Brian Kelly hired who he had never worked with before and obviously that one worked out pretty darn well for him but especially after 2016 and you know we talked about this ad nauseum when he was forced to look in the mirror and, and go outside his tree which frankly is a pretty small tree because he's been mm-hmm. his own boss for over 30 years now um, it's been great. I mean, it's, it's hard to do better than Mike Elko, Clark Lee, 
Marcus Freeman back to back to back as defensive coordinators. Um, and Notre Dame's done that. Yeah, no question. All right. Well, I, speaking of that next defensive coordinator, we're hopeful that next week Marcus Freeman will be joining the show. Um, I, don't, I don't. We joke about the Shamrock Bump, but I, I feel like Marcus Freeman actually is already on it uh, before he comes on the show with. Uh, Sort of his recruiting acumen and just sort of the uh, the reputation Justin that Williams preceded Zealand, him. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Justin Williams gave us all that. So look for that. Hopefully next week. Um, hopefully before the season gets going, um, we'll have another edition of the Shamrock with another one of Notre Dame's coordinators. These have been great shows. I appreciate Notre Dame helping us make it happen. Because, um, like I said, I think it um, these interviews are educational for us as reporters, uh, but also I think presents these coaches in a very positive light where you get to see them more as human beings and not just play callers. Um, so we appreciate that happening. And uh, so until next week, we're hopefully with our next guest in uh, Marcus Freeman. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks again for Notre Dame offense coordinator, Tommy Reese for coming on the show. This is our latest episode of the Shamrock. Shamrock.